Good evening, all you iShare participants. I am glad to be here tonight and to see you here tonight. I want you to know what a privilege it is to stand before you. And I'll tell you why I say that. Because when I sit there and listen to these testimonies, Sometimes it makes me wonder if, as a Seventh-day Adventist minister, I'm really doing ministry. Do you hear that? Do I need to repeat that? It makes me wonder if I'm doing ministry. Now, I know I'm where God wants me to be, okay? But I admire what you're doing. God is using you mightily. Your enthusiasm, energetics, enter. Your energetic, intelligent, willing to take a challenge and go door to door and talk to people. And so it's a privilege to be here tonight. My prayer is that God will just use me to enhance your relationship with him and the effectiveness of your ministry. And I want you to know he gave me a message to share with you tonight. I want you to look, if you would, at this picture. The title of this sermon is Standing in the Gap. I want you to look at that picture. And as you look at it, I want you to wonder what does this have to do with the sermon and standing in the gap. And if you don't come up with anything, it will come sooner or later. But I want you to focus on it. Because this literally is what God is calling you to do. And so we are going to look tonight at the sermon entitled, Standing in the Gap. And I'd like to invite you to join me as I say a prayer, and then we'll start. Father in heaven, how can we thank you for Jesus and for all he's done for us? And then to think that you have called us to do ministry and assist you in the salvation of men and women, young and old, of all cultural backgrounds. And so we are honored and now we want to honor you. And Lord, I pray that tonight you will assist me to clearly, concisely, and understandably present the message that you have given to us tonight. That you would teach us not only how to stand in the gap, but why to stand in the gap. And that decisions will be made. So pour out your spirit now, Lord. I want you to banish Satan from this auditorium. I want you to make him take his evil angels with him and fill every empty seat with angels from heaven that worship and honor you. Lord, do this for us that our minds may be clear, our hearts would be open, 
and we could hear from your Bible, you're speaking to us individually, each and every one, and that we will go from here changed because of the time we spent with you. Use me to this end, Lord, and then teach us to give you the praise and the honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Standing in the gap, I invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter. I hope you have your Bibles with you. This is the sword of the Spirit, right? The only offensive weapon that we've been given, and we need to always remember that we are the people of the book. And the book is the Bible. So open it with me, if you would, and let's take a look at this topic, starting in Ezekiel, and now you are, you're going to be horrified as I read this passage of Scripture to you and the challenge it has for us. Are you ready? We're going to start with verse 23. And the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel wrote, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the days of indignation. There is a conspiracy in her prophets, in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravaging the prey. They have devoured souls, they have taken the treasure and precious things, they have made her many widows in the midst thereof. And her priests have violated the law and have profaned my holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they shown different between the unclean and the clean. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbath, and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravaging the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have dabbled them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord God has not spoken. And the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and the needy. Yea, they have oppressed the strangers wrongfully. Young people, I want you to notice we're talking about the prophets, the priests, the princes, and the people. And you tell me, who does that lead? I mean, doesn't that about cover it? I mean, do you see the pecking order here? And we get down to the people, the poor pitiful people. What do they do? They look around and all they can find are the poor and needy to walk on. Did you get that? And the people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and the needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. 
Who are we talking about here? The children of Israel. God's chosen people. And then he says this. And I want you to hold on to your chairs. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. And you read the next four words. And I found none. How tragic this is. When we look at this carefully, we discover that there were three deportations that the Israelites went through that included Ezekiel. The first deportation was in 605 B.C. when some of the highest regarded youth were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and he slapped Israel in the the wrist, but Israel didn't learn the lesson. So he came back the second time in 597 B.C., and this time he took 10,000 captives, and it included Ezekiel, and were taken to Babylon. And finally, the third deportation was somewhere, it was either 587 or 586, they're not even sure exactly which year it was, in which Israel was totally leveled and most of the people killed, exiled, and taken captive back to Jerusalem. And when Ezekiel spoke these words, it was just before the third deportation. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not have to destroy it. And I found none. I didn't find anybody. And shortly thereafter, Nebuchadnezzar came back for the very third time, and that's when the... the, the the temple, which had already been sacked the first two times, was completely leveled. The walls were broken down. It was a mess. Young people, I want to know if there's someone here willing to stand in the gap. That's what God's looking for. In fact, I've got to show you this, how beautiful this is. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and I want you to turn with me and go to Leviticus 20th chapter, verse 24. I want to share something with you that I hope encourages you and challenges you and makes a difference in your life. And to let you know that what you're doing is right. To just keep on doing it till God tells you to do something else. And to never look beyond what he's got you doing and where you're at. For I want you to notice that God told Moses to tell the people this. And I want to tell this to you tonight because God told me to. But I have said unto you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it, a land that flows with milk and honey. I, the Lord your God, which have separated you from the other people. Did you hear that? 
I, the Lord your God, which has separated you from other people. Let's take a quick look at this word separation. I have separated you, God said. And it means to make a divide. In fact, it actually means to make a distinction, a difference, to separate, to set apart. Before the people even came to the promised land to take it over, God conveyed to them through Moses, their leader, that I have set you apart. You are to be different. You are not like the rest. Young people, I wish I could say that about our people today. I wish I could, but I'm really concerned for the Seventh-day Adventist church members. And I'll get to why I'm very concerned, even though you know the obvious, but there's a deeper reason. God has set us apart. We just looked at the Hebrew word to make sure that we're not missing something here. He set us apart because he wants us to be different. In fact, notice that in 12 translations, I didn't bother to mention which ones. It's separation. In one, it's set apart. So in the 13 major translations that most every one of us have or have used, it means the very same thing in the Bible. I have set apart. But the question is, what does that mean? Right? So let's find out what that means so that we can find out how we can stand in the gap at a very time in which he's now looking for a man. And I do not want to disappoint him again. Do you? Okay, let's go over to Deuteronomy 7. And let's find out exactly what it means here. We're going to get roughed up a little bit, but that's okay. We're heading towards a conclusion that we all need to come to grips with. In my Bible, at the heading of chapter 7, it says, Total, Totally destroy the Canaanite culture. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou goest to possess it. Verse 1 of chapter 7 of Deuteronomy and has cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Havites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier, greater, greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, Thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them and show them no mercy. Neither shalt thou make marriage with them. Thy daughters and, thy, and thou shalt not give unto his sons, nor his daughters shalt thou take unto their sons. So what does it mean to be separate? It means that we may utterly destroy them. And we are not to make a covenant with them. And we're not to be merciful with them. And we are not to marry them. Now, how do we translate this? Because we're no longer 
a nation of God's people like Israelite. I'll take one example that's prevalent that I deal with that I deal with throughout my ministry all these years and will continue to. You are not to marry non-believers, even Christians outside your faith. Young people, did you hear me? See, you're set apart. You're different. You're not like other people. See, other Christians, they may do that, but not Seventh-day Adventists. And it's happening all the time. And the Bible is very clear. In fact, you must carefully read your Bible and on your knees the spirit of prophecy to find out exactly how you're to determine if the person in the church that you love is the right one. Did you hear me? And do you know why? Because you're set apart. You're not like others. God wants to make you special. And there's a reason for it. This isn't cold, hard cash here in which God is going, I want to take all their fun away so they can be miserable because I just love to lord over them. You are to utterly destroy. You're not to make covenants. You have no mercy and no marriage. That does not mean you don't go out to try to win them. It means you do not get involved with them their beliefs because verse 4 answers that question it says for they will turn away thy son from following me that they may serve other gods so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly So why does God set us apart and then tell us these hard determinations that he expects from us? It's because if we don't, it will take us out. In fact, I want to cut to the quick a little bit here. Instead of advancing slowly, I want to tell you this. How can you help the people out there if you're just like them? How can you help the people to look to you and see something different if you look like them and you act like them and you think like them and you eat like them and you do all the other things just like them? How are they in a time of crisis going to look at you and say, there's something different here? Do you realize you're set apart, you're special? Do you realize there's certain things that you just cannot do that others can do? You know, that's truth about the ministry, the Seventh-day Adventist ministry, and to some degree, I believe we forgot it, that because we're ministers, there's some things we cannot do that even you could get away with. And we've got to remember that God himself said, I have set you apart. And I don't want you to be intertwined with them in the social ways and in the spiritual ways and in the physical ways because if you do, it will take you out. Now, where did we start? With the total destruction of Israel. Was God correct? He was. He was. 
In fact, that isn't enough. He then tells us in verse 5, let's continue here and look at verse 5. And what does he say? But thou shalt, but thus shall ye deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, and burn their graven images with fire. Do you have a television in your house? Do you have an iPod that has music on it that isn't Christian? By the way, some of it could even be Christian. Mm -hmm. You're set apart. You're different. There's got to be a distinction so the people's attention is drawn to the difference so you can tell them about Jesus Christ. And yes, is it harder that way? It sure is. We're being held accountable differently from anybody else. Why? We have the privilege of understanding. We have been set apart. We are different. He has made a distinction. He wants us to remind ourselves of that. You must continue to do what you're doing and not be afraid as you get older to make the tough decisions that in your youth you're making now more easily. And one of them is who you marry. Nothing will take out your usefulness like marrying the wrong person. And, I, and by the way, have I not heard it? Oh, pastor, but he's a better Christian than any Adventist boy I've ever met. Then I say, then God hasn't found for you the right boy. And why does he say destroy their altars, break down their images, cut down their groves, turn their graven, burn their graven images? Because verse 6 says, for thou art a holy people. Look what it says. Unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people. Unto himself, above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any person, for they were, for ye were fewer than all, but because the Lord loved you. Can you say, Amen? You are there, aren't you? You're awake. You're a special people. We've been called to a higher calling. We have to forego certain things that other people can do. And we've got to stop griping about it and do it. By the way, I'm mostly talking to us that have more gray hair in here than the young people. But young people, if you lose what you got right now, you're going to end up right where we are. Israel was totally destroyed. Israel had Isaiah. Israel had Jeremiah. Wouldn't you like to meet those two? Can't you wait to get to heaven? Well, I want you to know that the people of their time, their peers and contemporaries, scoffed them, ridiculed them, mocked them, even tortured them. Hezekiah, who saw a great miracle from God because he prayed, and Isaiah came and said to him, because you prayed 
God did this. He divinely intervened and saved the city of Jerusalem for you, Hezekiah, because you went and knelt before the Lord and prayed. And then Hezekiah's son sawed Isaiah in half. Did you know that? Martyred Isaiah. Because he didn't like the things he said. He was a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Sawed him in half. For thou art a holy people. Let me tell you what holy means in Hebrew. Sacred, selected, pure. Isn't that beautiful? So we can take this. You are a selected people. Or we can take it. You are a sacred people or you are a pure people. The word means more than just the translator says in the King James. And then he goes on to say, for the Lord thy God. Now here's what's so beautiful about that. You only want something and hold it in esteem that you cherish and value, right? God wants us to be a holy people. He wants us to be a sacred people. He wants us to be a selected people and a pure people. He is proud of us. He wants to show us off. So why go through all this? For you are a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen thee to be a special people, chosen you. That means to be specially chosen. That's literally what the Hebrew word means. It's just translated chosen, but it really emphasizes especially chosen. And then we come to this word. Listen to this. The, the special people. You're going to hang on now. Special people, a private possession which one has personally acquired and carefully preserved. Who are we talking about here? God and you. Well, young people, I, I know you don't understand quite yet. I, I got to give you some time. You see, when I look in the mirror, I don't see what you see when you look in the mirror. And I try to wonder how God can consider me precious. Okay? I want you to know that that word special means a private possession. That means a personal possession of God, which he has personally acquired and carefully preserved. And that's why we must be different and remember that we've been set apart not to judge other people, not to condemn other people, not to act like a country club group that has their nose in the air and are snooty. It means that we are supposed to understand that the God in heaven who is so merciful to us wants us to be that way to everyone else, but not be like them. I look out of my church and I see a bunch of those people. You know what I'm talking about. And so what did Ezekiel say? God said to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I looked for a man. I wanted someone to stand in the gap. And I wanted them to plead with me so I would spare the nation and not allow Nebuchadnezzar to come back the third time, in which I knew if he did, it was curtains. 
And there was no one. No one. Well, we're New Testament Christians, aren't we? So I invite you to go to 1 Peter and let's verify some of this information we've been looking at from the Old Testament. And as you're turning to 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 9, and by the way, you should have this memorized and know it perfectly already. I want you to know that we must impress this upon our mind. That God looks at us this way, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, didn't we just read that in Deuteronomy? Didn't we? Nothing new under the sun. God hasn't changed his idea or opinion. And imagine now it's clarified that Jesus died on the cross of Calvary. We are not only a holy people, a chosen people, a special people, but we are also priests and kings. Yeah, amen. And I want you to know that the priests and the kings are to be different from the rest of the people. Ellen White warns us, as we look in the great controversy, I love that book, Satan is continually seeking to overcome the people of God by breaking down the barriers which separate them from the world. Ancient Israel, modern Israel, was led astray. We're there again right now, folks. I want you to make up your mind before you leave this auditorium tonight that you are not going to let your church, if it's that case, weaken you. By the way, we do have great leaders and good pastors and good churches, but there are problems. And that is not what we should focus on. What we should focus on is I have set you apart. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. Conformity to the world's custom converts the church to the world. It never converts the world to Christ. Do you want to have greater success going door to door than to continue to remind yourself that you are a special people set apart from God and we must be different from them in the sense that they see the difference so that they're drawn to what our difference is, which is Jesus. In fact, I'll tell you what it is. It's Jesus Christ in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, administering the benefits of the atonement and trying to wrap it up so he can come back here and get his people. It is the three angels' messages that is a message the world doesn't want to hear, but the only message that will prepare them to receive Jesus when he comes in the clouds of glory, and our own church is harassing us on some of these issues. I'm going to make it very plain in a second. The lines of distinction between professed Christians and the ungodly is now what? Hardly 
distinguishable. Church members love what the world loves and are ready to join with them, and Satan determines to unite them in one body. I want you to see that last bit, that last phrase. Satan is behind this in order to unite us with them in what bo- in one body. And what did we just say? Moses was told by God to tell the people, you are set apart. You are separated. You're different. There's a distinction. And we should praise God that he's given us this privilege to understand this. Now, folks, let me just show you something that graphically and visually illustrates it. We have two women, two women. One from Revelation 12, and notice how she's dressed, and one from Revelation 17. And those of you who know your eschatology, those who study your book of Revelation, clearly see that the last day prophetic book describes that the people of God are to be simple and plain and clean and pure. And we are striving to be like the other picture. And so I'm chastising the congregation because that's evil, wicked, and dirty, and horrible? No, because Jesus has set us apart and made a distinction. And when we recognize it, acknowledge it, and struggle to hold on to it, we honor God. We make our witness more successful, a greater impact. Notice this sad psalm here. One utterance from Psalms 81 as I begin to wrap here. I just hear the pathos expressed through Asaph, by God. Do you have 81 verse 13? Please mark it if it isn't marked. Listen what God says to us tonight. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me and Israel had walked in my way. And that is God's desire for you and I tonight. I want you to notice this April 13th, 1998 issue of Time Magazine, 100 Leaders and Revolutionaries. If you look closely and you're astute in history, you'll recognize some of the individuals that are shown there, Stalin, Mousy Tongue, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, Mandela, Margaret Thatcher. Remember, this was 1990, um, 1998, right? 
And in that entire volume, there's one person that has completely taken my respect and admiration and pushes me on to be like him. 100 leaders and revolutionaries, he is the only one that has no name. On June 5, 1989, 13 Chinese Type 59 tanks poured into Tiananmen Square in Beijing down the Chenyang Avenue, which runs east and west along the south end of the Forbidden City, the very day after the government's violent crackdown in which innocent and unarmed men, women, and children were killed. And when that column of 13 tanks approached out of nowhere to the shock of all the eyes of those who were watching as it was being telecast from a window of a hotel, walks an individual unknown person that is now called the tank man, the unknown rebel, and he stood in front of the column of tanks. And if you go on YouTube, I want you to put in Tank Man. And YouTube will pop right up. And I want you to play it. And not only does it show the advancing column of tanks, it shows the young man coming, and he stops in front of the one tank, and just as the lead tank gets there, he comes to a halt. And after a moment of hesitation, the tank commander then moved the tank to his right. And the minute he did that, the young man stood to his left and stood right in front of the tank again. And then the tank commander then moved it to his left. And the young man came back again and stood right in front of it. And the whole column came to a halt. And this unknown rebel, who to this day we do not know who he is or what happened to him, although by now we know what happened to him. He then clambered on top of the tank and tried to look in as if to say, what are you doing here to us? We don't want you here. And then this unknown rebel clambered down off of the tank and YouTube shows clearly that some people came out of nowhere grabbed him and hauled him out of there before the tank commander ruthlessly rode him drove right over him and crushed him to death I want to be like the tank man in fact it sort of shames me to think that he put his life on the line for freedom of a politic, politi of, for a political philosophy, which to me isn't anything like putting yourself out for Jesus Christ. And God is looking for tank men and women. Let me tell you what I share has in mind and the challenge they want 
to give to you tonight, and I want to be included. Notice on your seat you have a card. I'd like you to take that card out right now. It asks for your name, your email address, your phone number, your city, your state. You have a pencil there. There should be a pencil. And here's what we have in mind that we want to challenge you to make a decision tonight to fill this out, and then we're going to invite you to come forward and put it in the bowl right there. And we're looking for young people who are willing to lead out in their local church to do a weekly early morning prayer session. And by the way, if that interests you at the bottom put, I'll I'll lead an early, once a week early morning prayer session. We're looking for local leaders in every conference that will help facilitate united prayer throughout the conference. If you're interested in coordinating for the conference, put that right there. I'd like to help coordinate maybe once a month or whatever, a, send out a communication that on this particular day throughout our conference we're going to pray. We're looking for a union-wide leader who once a month will call for a day of prayer, once a quarter, whatever the Lord leads you. We're looking for young people to lead out in their local schools to call the school to prayer. We're looking for young people to lead out in their homes to send out calls for prayer in their own homes. And listen to this. We're looking for young people helping their local pastors during prayer meeting once a week to offer prayer. You all put my name down. If the Lord is touching your heart, I want you to fill that out right now. For God is looking for tank men and women. And we want to do action that will help bear fruit so we can continue to remember that we're separate by God so we can be a better blessing for the people. And as you ponder this decision, I want to invite Sharonette to come up here and to sing. And while she's singing, if it's your desire to be part of this, I want you to bring your paper up and put it right there. And then remain standing, if you would, and we will have a special prayer to close this commitment session. You're supposed to stay here. They're all leaving.
pray. Can I pray from there? Is there going to be feedback if I pray from there? Um, I'm not quite sure. I want to say no, but I'm not quite sure. Should I try it? Well, your mic's off right now. Okay. Thank you, Charnette. Indeed, we need him every hour. And now we're going to have a special prayer for the commitments that have been made. I'd like to invite the remaining congregation that's seated to stand to show their support. And maybe some of you made decisions but didn't come forward. And that's okay. And let's draw together as we offer this prayer in behalf of allowing our God to help us to be more faithful to Him and to be used in a wider way. Father in heaven, how can we thank you for honoring us the way you do? In spite of the fact that we're all faulty and erring and it makes us want to strive better, Lord, to come closer to you and receive more power from you to succeed. Bless these young people who have come forward. And Father, I saw some others come forward too. They put in the bowl something, Father. They made a decision too. There's others in their seat that made, made a totally different decision. I want you to honor those decisions now. I want Satan's hopes to be scurrying in anger and fear. I want them to be trembling at the, the hearing of prayer being offered in behalf of people, your people, who are committed to you. Pour out your spirit now. And Lord, let prayer 
go forward in this union, starting in our homes, Father, moving into our churches, our conference, and our union. And by the way, I must say, Father, that our union leadership and even our conference leadership is highly supportive of prayer. And other places I've been, that isn't been the case. I want you to bless them for their support. I want you to continue to give them the spiritual insight to see the necessity and importance of prayer. And then help us all to be persistent and to continue to practice it until you come. Pour out your spirit now, Father, so that we can bring praise and honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.